Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Bibles and open them to Psalm 23. This will be our last message in this great psalm. Psalm 23, as you're turning there, I want to announce two things on two different perspectives. Um, Andy and Brittany Voss are expecting child number, Andy, where are you? Is it five? Number five. Yes, congratulations to that. And baby's going to come in the spring, summer? Yep. April-ish. Yep. I understand what that means. That's dad talk saying it's going to come when the Lord says it's going to come. Yes, congratulations. I know Brittany is, is dealing with morning sickness and everything that a mama deals with in those earlier stages. So pray for Brittany and the family, and we rejoice with your brother on that. Um, we also got an emergency um, note. Ben Baird's dad had a heart attack this morning, so we'll be mindful. His name is Bob. We'll pray for him and the family, of course, um, as we go here. Let me uh, let me just let me just do that now, just so I be mindful of that family. Father, again, we we rejoice with those who rejoice. We we weep with those who weep. And Father, the the joy of of, of having you open the womb is a blessing. And so we pray for Brittany this morning, Father, as she gathers strength, as she desires to to love on her family, and and more importantly, love on you. We just pray, Lord, that you will help her through the day. Let her know that you're there that you desire to comfort her and give her strength. On the other side of that, Father, we, we pray for Bob and for the Baird family. Father, no doubt all the emotions of, of the what if, but yet, Lord, our hope is settled on you. And so I pray for the comfort as well that is needed in a time such as this. And so we love you, knowing that you will guide and direct our days. Be with our, our study, Father, as we desire to, to see your, your kind hand in the midst of shepherding our lives. And so we love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read the psalm again. No doubt a very familiar psalm to you, but it's so rich as we've been studying this. It reads this, follow along. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. Familiar psalm, and too often the the familiar nature of a psalm like this, sometimes we miss the deep truths that it brings us. Such is the case when when life collides with our theology. We we start thinking about the what-ifs and what's happening, and and yet the psalm has been a balm to our souls, especially in the midst of tragedy. There's a story that goes that one Sunday a young boy was asked to read Psalm 23 to the whole congregation. After he finished, the whole church stood up and gave this gifted child a long and loud applause. Then the oldest man in the church was asked to read the same psalm. After he finished reading, there was dead silence. Then the sound of weeping spread across the sanctuary. People were sobbing and raising their hands to heaven, rejoicing in the Lord's kindness. During the break, the boy went to the elderly man and asked for advice. He says, why, when I read Psalm 23, the people applauded, but when you read it, they wept. The wise old man said to this curious child, he said, son, you have done very well in reading the psalm. You know the psalm of the shepherd well, and you've read it with perfect dictation, enunciation, But as for me, my voice may not be that clear. My diction is poor, but after so many years of walking with my beloved Lord, I know him. I know the shepherd of the psalm very well. I mean, how true is that? Life gives us color to take the theology of God's word, and and it comes to us at a deeper meaning, a deeper understanding. When life hits us like a tidal wave where, where suffering and trials surround us from all sides, there is only one anchor for the soul, for the born again Christian, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He ministers in such a way that we cannot describe until life happens. And such is the case. In light of the many trials that we face and in the reality of the sting of death, this psalm is the truth that our soul rests on. In the midst of it all, we see, we feel, we experience, we feel comfort when tragedy hits, all because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. As we've been looking at, this is a metaphor between, of course, David being a literal shepherd, but yet also experiencing life and understanding the hardships of life and and needing the guiding hand of his Lord. But this is a a sheep and a shepherd relationship. This is something that is expressed to to every born-again Christian who who understands that the Lord is his shepherd. That's why I love the scriptures. The gospels tell us that Jesus is our great shepherd. He shepherds our souls in so many ways. And David understands that. 
And by the inspiration of the Spirit, he he draws this out for, for days such as this so that we can understand clearly that we're not alone in, in the midst of great tragedy, in the midst of, uh, of life. It's a relationship that is intimate. It's a relationship that, that only those who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior experience. It's a, a deep intimacy that impacts not only our understanding of our Lord, but, but it flushes out all the characteristics of God in, in a very tangible way. We started looking at this, and and, and rightly so, understanding that the foundation of the psalm lies in verse 1, that the Lord is my shepherd. He he understands very personally that, that Yahweh is his God, is his shepherd, so much so that he comes to the conclusion that I shall not want. There's nothing else that he desires. He knows that in the time of need, Jesus is all I need. And then what follows, and we started to, to look at this last week, and is, is five sufficiencies of why we can say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. We looked at one of them, just as a way of reminder. Verse 2 tells us that the great shepherd provides rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2 says. He leads me besides quiet waters. And what we noted last week was what remarkable about the statement is that, that sheep are very skittish. They, they, they don't have peace. They often don't find rest. And they need that comforting hand of the shepherd himself to be able to take a breath and relax. They are fearful. They are totally dependent upon the shepherd to, to not only protect them, but to, to, but to lead them and, and tell them that everything is okay. And it's not that the shepherd takes off and lies down himself as well. No, he is, he is protecting the sheep. He's on watch. He's on guard. The shepherd knows the needs of the sheep and thus provides this type of peace and rest that they so badly need. And so the shepherd... Make sure all the worries are gone. In order for them to have rest, the shepherd gives them peace knowing everything is okay under his care. Only then can he make them lie down in green pastures and rest. He gives them the assurance that everything is good and well and he keeps on guard And the sheep can close their eyes and trust him. This is where it all starts. This is where David goes with rest and with peace. And you think about it, when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's exactly what Jesus gives you, right? He not only gives you grace, forgiveness, and reconciles you to the holy God, your creator, but he says this in Matthew 11, calling sheep to come to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's pretty remarkable when you think about the gospels and how much parallel that that Jesus draws to this psalm, that he is the great provider. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus declared in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And so the provisions of God to be able to rest in his care. John 14.27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I often thought that eventful week, why it was taking so long to find a sweet little girl. And I thought to myself, Lord, what is going on here? I had a birthday in the middle of that I think I shared with you. I'm thinking, Lord, today's the day. It would be a great birthday gift. But yet that day came and went. It was that next day that I realized in prayer that God says, listen, my timing is always perfect. And there's reasons for the delay. Little did I understand that until we're on the dock and we're, we're, we're talking to other people. We spent literally hours with people that we did not know. And they were puzzled. Why do you have peace? Why aren't you restless? What gives you hope? And immediately my heart says, Lord, this is the reason why. This is the reason why. To be able to interact with individuals, to know that, that the assurance in Christ is secure, to be able to tell them about the resurrection and life, to be able to express the goodness and kindness, even in the midst of great tragedy, to, to point to hope. And I thank the Lord for that. Though going through it, I was a little agitated, but on the flip side, I was thankful for the time spent with individuals, some who knew the Lord, some who didn't. The great shepherd provides a peace that the world can't understand, but the believer in Christ receives. I encourage you to look at those past sermons. There was much said about that point, but I want to move on to our, our study and kind of process this a little bit more and lead us into our second sufficiency that the great shepherd provides, and that is that he restores our soul. And this is pretty interesting to me. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, he restores my soul, pretty simple, but it's the meaning of the words here. Simply put, the Lord makes me right. First of all, he, he causes to, to return when we stray from him. The shepherd doesn't only call his sheep into the fold, but he, he calls them back when they wander. He restores them with repentance and forgiveness and brings them right within the body. I think it's also pretty interesting to, to me when you think and you study and you look at sheep, uh, uh, they have no idea of sense of direction. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? I mean, they totally lack the GPS guiding system in their souls. Not that they have a soul, but in their, their, their being. They find it easy to get lost in familiar surroundings. I've driven the highways and the byways and 
you see sheep and they always got their heads down. They're, they're, they're looking at the food. And you and I both know, even with our cell phones, that we can get our heads buried in a device and then we look up and we're like, how did I get here? In addition to that, they are prone to intentionally wander away in the pursuit of greener pastures, in the pursuit of food. In light of this, one of the major responsibilities of a shepherd is to actively go in search for the sheep who have wandered away from the path while he's moving them from one grazing field to another. Instead of staying in line with the other sheep and following him from one field to another, they wander off thinking that they know what is best. And the shepherd reminds them, no, it's best for you to to stay with the flock. Stay with us. I think about this wandering often because I think often in the Christian life, we find ourselves that way too. There's a constant temptation for for us as God's sheep to, to, to look other places and other ways. I think as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 176, he put it this way. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The psalmist recognizes that, that he has a tendency to wander, yet he also has an understanding that the servant is the one who's going, or the Lord is going to be the one who, who brings them back. Praying that God would seek him out to find him. And like I said, I think this is a common issue for all of us. The best of saints are prone to wander. I think of the the hymn that we often sing. There's a verse in it where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take it and seal it for thy courts above. I mean, this truth is pretty profound when you think about it. Left to ourselves, we make a, a mess out of life, don't we? Left to ourselves, we would stray from God into sin, and we would never find our way back. We must rely on the shepherd to get us back home, out of harm's way, on the right path. Often we must cry out for the shepherd to seek us and to bring us back, and and the clear implication of all this is, of this text, is this is exactly what Yahweh does. What's also interesting about this is just the word in the Hebrew restores here. Yes, it is often used to to heal, to mend, to bring back. But often in the Old Testament, this word is used for repentance. Restoring means to, to, to like I say, to, to, to bring back, to make right. And that's the image and the, the design of the word that David uses here. He brings repentance to my soul so that I can walk according to his ways. What he's saying is that the Lord provides restoration. He provides repentance. He makes things right. He heals our souls. 
I mean, I can jump out of this and think about King David, and, and he knew this very well. You think about the sin that, that, that David committed with Bathsheba. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't let King David go. He sends a prophet. He sends Nathan. And Nathan tells him a story to get David's attention. And he tells a story of, of a rich man fleecing a poor man's flock. You remember that where the rich man took the sheep of another to, to kill, to celebrate, even though he had many a sheep himself. David, of course, responded with anger and says, you know what, that rich man should have a penalty. Only to drive home the point to David. That David, you are that rich man. You have stolen something that is not yours. And of course, we have great psalms coming out of the Psalter from, from David and Psalm 31 of, of great repentance and restoring. He recognizes the love of the Lord and he, and he comes to the understanding that he is guilty and needs to be restored. What I love about this, when we're in the midst of sin and then we finally realizes that we've strayed quite afar, a ways, away from the Lord. Our God is so kind to draw us back, to awaken our souls to what is right and what is good, what is holy. And that the Lord will drive you to restoration. If you are his, he will, let not, will not let you wander to the point of death. That's the beautiful thing about it. He will bring you to the need for repentance only to refresh in your joy of the grace and forgiveness that he offers. He writes the ship. And you study this, and it's pretty remarkable to think about what a shepherd does with the sheep. The shepherd does this physically with his sheep, it is known if sheep to get top heavy, their wool gets often grown in such a place. And as it grows, it makes them unstable to the point where they can flip on their backs like a turtle. Their legs are, are flowing and they need somebody to write them. And the shepherd comes along and he writes them. He not only writes them, but I'm pretty sure in, the, in his mind he's going to shave the wool so the sheep can function and walk. If the sheep did not have a shepherd that would restore him or right him, it would only take a few hours before that sheep would die. Our Lord leads us to restoration. He does that in the local church, often with elders, with godly people, where iron is sharpening iron, where love for one another desires for what is right and good and holy for one another. But more importantly, our Lord does it himself for us. The great shepherd provides restoration for our souls. I think that application is pretty simple. But let me just add to that a little bit. There's a couple more things that you need to consider. First of all, a true Christian will not remain in an unrepentant sin. That's the application of this. 
If you are truly the Lord's sheep, he will not allow you to go to the point where you're unrestorable. I love what the preacher, Matthew Henry, great Puritan preacher of old, he puts it this way, and I quote him here. He says, the best saints are sensible of their proneness to go astray like lost sheep. They miss their way. They turn aside into bypass, but when God shows them their error, God gives them repentance and brings them back to their duty again and restores the soul. And if he did not do so, they would wander endlessly and be undone. That could never happen. Not our shepherd. Not one of his sheep. And so he says this, though God may suffer his people to fall into sin, he will not suffer them to lie still in it. End quote. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that the shepherd, he'll allow you to, to go away only to draw you back when your heart is right, grant you re repentance and forgiveness and restore you in such a way. That is something that our Lord does for us. You're never abandoned. Even when you are sinful toads, you're never abandoned. He will always care for your, your whole being. Why? Because that's the kind of shepherd he is. And so he not only provides us rest, and not only does he provide us with restoration and repentance, there's a third sufficiency that, that our Lord provides, and that is guidance. Look at verse 3, continuing on in verse 3. He says, he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are foolish creatures. Like I've said earlier, they are considered the most stupid animals on the earth. They need to be led. They are prone to wander. And like I said, these kind of flow together, but it's understanding not only does he bring us restoration, but he brings us to the place where he can guide and lead us. And notice those paths. It's paths of righteousness for your goodness and for your, for your, your kindness. I mean, you think about this in your own life. You, we know at times the flesh wins out. Our sin gets the best of us. We find satisfaction in ourselves, in our sin. And as God, the good shepherd, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, he leads us to paths of righteousness according to his namesake, according to his character. Let me give you an example of this. This is kind of a main, mundane example, but I grew up in a large family. We never got a choice of how we wanted our steak cooked or how we wanted our hamburger cooked. Whatever dad put on the grill, whatever it came out, we never complained. We got. Now, as a young man who gets married and finding out the truth that steak can be cooked a lot differently. I tried a medium rare steak and I was missing out in life. 
All that to say is that often we think and we're stuck with the idea that a burnt, well-done steak is all that there is. When the Lord says, I have something better for you. The medium where steak, I'll never forget Carl Sweet. First time I ordered a steak in front of him, I said, I want it well done. He looked at me like, what are you doing? And I saw the satisfaction on his face as I tried to chew this hardened hockey puck and realized there's something more that steak can offer. And such is the truth in, in the things of, of godliness. When we think about the character of God, his paths are always right. Especially when a culture says that they're wrong. Listen, his ways are always right and good. And good. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us the heart of our Lord. It says, and really about our hearts too, all of us are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on the Messiah, Jesus. And then we get such exhortations to drive this home. Proverbs 3, 5, it tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Listen, when you learn that the Lord knows best, your Christian life is going to go a lot better. When you stop thinking that you know best and start thinking that he knows best, the paths are rich. The grass is green. doesn't mean that you won't have difficulties in this life, but you know that the shepherd is going to lead you through those difficulties. You have no greater shepherd no greater counselor, no greater wisdom than the Lord himself. So no wonder the scriptures replete with seeking first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6. Colossians 3.17, that you would do everything in word and deed to the glory of God. That you would submit your life to his truth, knowing that it is always eternally going to be right and holy and good. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does that do to the Christian? It causes them to, to rejoice in him and the goodness and when you see his hand and the ways that he provides for you. It causes you to praise him. Listen, I'm looking for every person out there that cooks a state wrong to tell them that there's a better way. And same way, spiritually speaking, I'm looking to tell people about a Savior that there's a better way. That he is the life, he is the way, and that he is the truth. Moving on in verse 4, the great shepherd provides protection. You can see how all these kind of flow together. Verse 4, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
what he's telling us, that there's, there's great trust between the, the sheep and the shepherd. And there must be. That even when the shepherd brings correction, the sheep embrace it. Why? Because they know that the shepherd has their best interest in mind. The sheep must know that the shepherd has his best interest and protection when it follows them. The situation that presents itself is one where the shepherd must lead the sheep. And did you see the scenario, the context of what's happening? Even in the lowlands, in the lack of pasture time, the shepherd leads. If you know anything about valleys, that is the greatest opportunity for you to be attacked. Predators are all on the sides of the mountains, and the shepherd leads his sheep through the valley to the safe lands. But he has a few weapons, doesn't he? He has a rod and he has a, a staff. The rod is, is, is a short club used to whack any oncoming intruder, some predator. And the staff is to, to, to pull out the sheep when they find themselves in thickets, when they find themselves in trouble. What's also interesting about this verse is that, did you see this? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. It is the Lord who's leading the sheep here, which tells us that trials will come, but not to be dismayed, not to be in despair. Yes, hard times will come. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though there's, there's predators, even though there's a culture and a world desiring to gobble us up, the Lord leads us through these valleys. And it's through those valleys when we have our eyes on the shepherd in the midst of darkness, hearing the sounds of the predators on the sides of the hill, that we gain more trust and faith in the one that we follow. That's the problem with the prosperity gospel. They, they promise all, everything's going to be roses. The problem is the scriptures never teach that. Yes, there are blessings in Christ, but we consider verses like, and passages like James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, God intends trials for our spiritual good. Do you look at them that way? Do you see trials as something that God is, is, is wanting to endure your faith, to let your eyes be open that he is walking you through these things? God tests us to prove that he's sufficient. Oh, how often we forget that. There's another sufficiency. In light of time, just moving on. The great shepherd provides for all of our needs. I mean, he concludes with some beautiful verbiage here. Listen to what he says. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness, 
and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen. There's a very practical benefit of having Jesus as our shepherd, as our shepherd king, our Lord and our savior. Not only does he vindicate us by putting us, supplying for us a table, a meal in the presence of my enemies. But he desires, verse 6, to, to give goodness that overflows and loving kindness will follow. I don't know about you, the more I think about this, I, I just am enamored with the kindness and the goodness of God that comes to us on a daily basis. Too often, I think in the Christian life, we expect that to happen. God, I'm one of yours. You better bring goodness and you better bring kindness. Instead of looking at that and saying, I see the hand of God. I see your goodness and I'm thankful for it. I see your kindness, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. Notice what he says, surely, with certainty, goodness, kindness will follow me all the days of my life. He sums up life in, in that one little sentence. We know that to be true of God. His character, again, shines brightly. Psalm 119.68 says of God's goodness, you are good and you do good. In other words, God is good in himself. He defines what goodness is. His character is good. You notice where unbelievers run to? They, they blame God for all the evil. The believer in Christ looks at this and realizes that he even takes the evil of the world and according to Romans 8.28, causes it for my good. James 1.17 says, Every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing is from God. I even think how his goodness, his common grace that is extended for us to even to have breath, to, to be able to, for the unbeliever to still have life. That's a common grace to them. It even spills over to the unbeliever. Psalm 31, 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. Shree and I marveled in the midst of the valley how good God is. In so many ways, how good God is. What that Psalm 31, 19 tells us is that God especially reserves his goodness to those who are his. Psalm 84.11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And then he uses a word that is divinely expressed. It's tough for theologians to get their minds on the Hebrew word hesed. It is such a multifaceted word. In, in, our, in our Bibles, it's often translated as loving kindness. It's a word that describes God in, in so many ways. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament alone. It is translated, like I say, with loving kindness, but it has two equal ideas. First of all, it contains the idea of a, a profound love that is only found in the deepest relationships. But it also contains the idea of a, of a tenacious, stubborn commitment, an unconditional love that says, even though you are a sinner, I'm still going to love you. I don't know about you, but when I find myself in sin, I'm thinking, Lord, why do you even love me? And he says, because I have hesed love for you. I have unconditional love to you and for you. It's the type of love that he, he cuts his covenant with his people. It's the type of love that, that Jesus Christ gives to the believer that holds them, perseveres, them. And David says, surely that unconditional, undying love for me will follow me all the days of my life. He's not only talking about this earthly life, but look at what he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows it's that same type of love that will launch him into eternity, and it will be that type of love forever. It speaks about loyalty. It speaks about never quitting on us. And when we sin, we, we, we think, oh, this is it. And yet God says, no, this is not it. I'm going to love you through it. I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the forgiveness. I'm going to cause you to understand what repentance means and change you. Here's another interesting word study. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow. We look at that word follow and we think, okay, it's, 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 it's a child following a dad and everybody's in line and wherever the leader goes, follows. That's not the word used here. It's best to say that it has the idea of being chased. And so I love what David's saying here. He said, surely goodness and loving kindness will chase me all the days of my life. You cannot outrun it. That God loves you to the degree that he is going to chase you with this committed love to pursue you and to not let you go. Did you notice that? No exceptions. All the days of your life, this type of love will be pursuing you because of his character and his goodness and his kindness. 
and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a hard time of eternity, understanding eternity. We don't have anything in this world that lasts forever. You notice that? But in eternal, in heaven, eternal life is forever. I love the comforting words of our Lord when he was about ready to be arrested and head to the cross and, and to die and bring atonement. He says this to us. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I mean, you talk about the personal nature of the relationship that our Savior has with us. Often we think that when we leave this world that the angels come and get us and usher us back. No, that's not what the text says. The text tells us that Jesus himself will come and receive you to himself. Why? Because he's already prepared a place for you. And he says that where I am, you will be also. I don't know, I, I push away from the psalm in, in a timely, of course, necessary understanding of where our hearts have been and, and, and just enduring much hardship in all facets of areas of life, to the old, to the young. And I push away from the psalm thinking, I got a savior, a shepherd that loves me no matter what. His provisions are great. He gives me rest. He provides. He restores. He guides. He protects. In everything. What more do you need? Of course, the answer is nothing else. Jesus is sufficient for everything. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for the morning and for opening our hearts to the sufficiencies of, of Christ and the fulfillment of revelation. We understand the fulfillment of what the great shepherd does in our Messiah, Jesus. Yes, David experienced that, even though he was waiting for the Messiah. These provisions were his, and these provisions are ours. And because of that, we marvel at your comforting hand. That we can draw comfort in the time of need. That we can walk through the valley, the shadow of death, knowing that you are going to protect us. That you know what is best for our souls. And that you will bring us through trials knowing that you will produce endurance in our faith. And may that be our response. May our response be in the midst of trials. Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior. 
So continue to lead and guide us. May we trust you in all things. May we find your ways good, holy, and right. And so we love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.